mentioned that we'd talk about this for just a second. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but I want you to understand real quickly that right after worship, we're going to gather together and talk about the opportunity we have before us to go to China. I got off the phone on Wednesday with our missionary friends, Will and Amanda Johnson, who are living just outside of Hong Kong in China, and the work that God is doing there is unbelievable. We have such an exciting opportunity. We're going to be partnering with them, leading Bible studies in local factories, a Delta Fawcett factory, other local factories. We're going to be working with the underground church in China, teaching discipleship classes, being on local university campuses, sharing the gospel with people that have never heard it before. It's going to be an unbelievable experience. So um, if you're even thinking about it a little bit, stop by after worship. We're going to meet directly back past those black curtains in the lobby out there by um, Will's little bar, coffee shop. And um, we're going to sit down just for about 10 minutes, give you some information, answer any questions that you have, and talk about what things are going to look like in early June as we partner with our friends to, uh, to go in and... Uh, help them carry out their mission and their calling from the Lord uh, to be a part of what God is doing in China. Very, very cool stuff. So we are going to wrap up Jonah, I promise. Today we are going to be all done with Jonah. I know some of you thought we'd never really get through it, but we started doing a chapter at a time and we are blazing a trail now. And we've got a lot of catching up to do. And so, you know, the thing about this book that is so amazing to me is that God has done different things in my heart at different stages that we've explored it together. Um, as I first started going through it and reading through it, God was doing one thing, but then as I started teaching through it, God started doing something completely different in me. But the whole thing circles around this idea of control, doesn't it? I mean, you've heard me talk about this now for the sixth time. I mean, our series is entitled Out of Control. It's, it's an idea of what it would look like if we stepped into a life of total and absolute surrender and said, God, I'm willing to give my entire life to you. And the reason control is such an issue with us is because God wants it and we don't want to let go of it. I mean, I want to hang on to it, and the gospel of Jesus Christ bids me to come and die. It bids me to come and lay down my life. And so we have this struggle and this tension over control in our relationship with Jesus. We want to give Jesus just enough of our lives to where we feel like we're walking with him, but we don't actually have to risk anything. And so we wrestle with control. And you know, the funny thing is I keep mentioning control is an illusion. There really is no such thing. We can't control anything. I mean, anything that really matters, we cannot control. But we want it because it provides the illusion of safety and the illusion of comfort, and so we fight with the Lord. And so we've kind of looked at the book of Jonah through that lens of control with the idea of surrender as our kind of uh, focal word, the idea that says, what if I were to relinquish control of my life, to lay it down and say, Jesus, I will follow you. What would that really look like, to give up my entire life? So we've kind of used that lens and we've opened the book of Jonah and we literally have gone through every single line in that book, gazing at it through that lens of saying, God, what it would look like if I gave my whole heart to you. So we've kind of come a long way and, and this is the last time you're going to have to hear me do this and so it's getting longer each week, but I just think, you know, people um, that are here for the first time, you can't just jump into Jonah 4 and have no idea how we got there. So I got to tell you how we got there. So I'm going to give you a quick brief as I can kind of catch up on Jonah so that we all start in the same place and uh, we'll go from there now Jonah we know right he was a prophet 
of the Lord, which means he was called to be the mouthpiece of God. He operated during a really important time in the life of Israel. The kingdom had split into two kingdoms, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, and he was kind of called as a prophet to preach to the northern kingdom under the rule of a guy by the name of Jeroboam II. Now at the time, there was one really dominant power, and it was the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were powerful and they were nasty. Uh, We said that Nahum's entire prophecy in his book is actually against the Assyrians, talking about what an awful people they were. They are barbaric, and they murdered people, women and children, and they carried on all kinds of craziness and chaos. And that dominant power was pressing down from the north on Israel, and Jonah, God's prophet, receives a word from the Lord that says, go to the great city of Nineveh, which is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because it's wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah responds by running. I mean, Jonah takes off. He heads down to this port city on the Mediterranean Sea, and he sets sail for Tarshish, which is a Spanish coastal town on the other end of the world, running full speed from God. And while he was running, he was on this boat, and God hurls this great tempest. He sends this great wind, this great storm. The boat begins to break up, and the sailors kind of freak out, and the captain panics, and they start screaming at Jonah, Jonah, what are we going to do? What's happening? And Jonah said, look, it's my fault. This is my fault. If you throw me overboard, then the seas will grow calm. Well, the sailors didn't like that idea. They were like, there's no way we're throwing you overboard. We're not going to kill an innocent man. But sure enough, the seas got rougher and rougher, and finally they grabbed him by their feet and by his feet and by his ankles or in hand, they threw him over. I like to think that's how they do it at least. And so they pitched him over into the, uh, into the sea, and the sea goes totally calm. And the sailors begin to worship God. They make vows and sacrifices, and, and they come to know the Lord, Jehovah, Jonah's God, and the sea goes calm. And right at that moment, God provides a great fish, and this great fish come and, comes and literally swallows Jonah, takes him out of the sea, plucks him out of the sea, and swallows him. Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of that fish, and he prays this sort of great prayer that's, that's packed with honesty, and it's packed with confession and thankfulness, and it's rooted with sort of a changed life. And we begin to see Jonah having this sort of heart revival, or so it seems, this, this transformation takes place in him and then God in this sort of amazing little picture commands the fish and it vomits Jonah up on dry land and Jonah's sitting there on dry land waiting on God's call wrapped in all the stuff that comes out of the inside of a fish and God speaks to him again and God says Jonah I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I will give you so essentially Jonah gets the same call from the Lord again and God says go This time, instead of running, Jonah, who's responding to a changed heart that that has happened inside the belly of this fish, that God has turned his rebellious heart into something else. He's redeemed it. Jonah responds in obedience, and he makes the long, hot travel all the way across the desert to go to the great city of Nineveh. And when he gets there on day one, he begins to preach the message that God gave him, which is a little five-word Hebrew phrase that basically says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. I mean, that is the message that he preaches. And we expect the Ninevites to absolutely freak out. We expect them to seize Jonah, beat him, string him up, throw him outside of town, stone him, shoot him, whatever. We expect him to have this kind of crazy response, but what they do is amazing. They believe God. They don't believe Jonah's words. They believe God, and they begin to turn their lives around. In fact, it says from the greatest to the least, they quit eating. They started fasting. They put on sackcloth. 
When the word reached the king, he stood up from the throne. He removed his robes. He put on this burlap sack and he sat in the dirt. And he wrote a decree from the nobles and from his throne that said, Let no one, from the least to the greatest, eat any food, even the livestock among you. But turn from your wicked ways and your evil doing, and maybe God will have compassion on us. I mean, we see an incredible revival. Hundred plus thousand people having their lives changed right there in the presence of God. And last week we called it the greatest revival in history. Because it's remarkable. We've seen revival, or so it seems, in the heart of Jonah. We're seeing revival in the streets of Nineveh. And verse 10, the last verse in chapter 3 says this. And God saw how they turned from their wicked ways, and he had great compassion on them and didn't bring upon them the destruction that he had said. So God's compassion is just poured out on Nineveh. I mean, this is an amazing place that we've gotten to. We've seen an incredible story of, a God, of God's prophet running in disobedience, living in sin, yet called again by God's mercy and compassion to proclaim a message. And then we saw God redeem the lives of these wicked people with his mercy and his compassion. And that's where we left off last week. We've got one more chapter to go. The people have just turned their lives around and God's compassion has poured out on them. Let's turn our attention to Jonah chapter 4. If you've got your Bible right there in front of you, pull it out. If not, there's probably one around you. You can follow it. I want you to understand, make sure you, you read this with me because I'm not making this stuff up. So I want you to see it and, uh, and read it. So let's pray together before we open God's word. God, we're grateful that we can gather in this place and that you love us the way that you do. God, we're grateful that you care for us and desire a relationship with us. And God, that your love is relentless and it is pursuing and that, God, it never ends. God, we thank you that you are more than we will ever be and that you call us by name to a relationship with you. What would it look like if we gave our lives up and followed you? Lord, teach us this morning from your word. Take just a second right where you sit and just ask God to speak directly to you this morning. Just say, God... Teach and speak to my heart. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you, or behind you. Just pray for them, even if you don't know their name. If you do know their name, pray for them by name. Just pray that God would, would move in them. Be in the habit of praying for the people around you. God, we know that an encounter with your words, an encounter with you, we do not take that for granted or take it lightly. Um, God, move in us as we meet with you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. A lot to catch up on in Jonah chapter 4. Good thing Jonah didn't have 15 chapters. We may never, ever leave church. Jonah chapter 4. We, we're actually, let's start in verse 3, 10, because I think it's really important. It actually ties into exactly where we're going. So let's look at 3, 10 through chapter 4. When God saw that they, the Ninevites, right, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? 
This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a a God who was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. But Jonah and Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head and he grew faint and he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been so concerned about the vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And the book of Jonah ends. That's kind of weird, isn't it? You know, it it leads us down this path and then just comes to this sort of abrupt halt. And the story is over. And I find it remarkable. I mean, God's compassion has just poured out over the Ninevites. I mean, he basically, the message he proclaimed, he didn't do. He stopped. They changed their lives and God did not bring calamity upon them. And we see Jonah angry. It says that Jonah is greatly displeased and he was angry and he prayed to God. And he said, God... You know, is this not why I ran in the first place? I knew that you were a God of compassion and that you were a God of grace and that you wouldn't bring calamity on these people. I mean, this is why I ran to Tarshish because I can't stand them. I wanted them to be wiped out and I ran from you because I knew you were going to do this. And he prays and then God looks at Jonah and he basically says to him, he goes, do you have any right to be angry? And Jonah doesn't even answer God. He just sort of marches outside the city, makes a little spot in the desert and he sits down to wait. And it says he waited to see what would happen to the city because Jonah's kind of hoping that God will have this change of mind and come in and wipe out the city. And he's going to sit there and watch because he wants to see it. Jonah's sitting there. He made a little shelter. He's kind of in the shade. And he's just angry, steaming. And it says that God provided a vine. God made this, this vine grow and enough to give him shade. So it's not like, you know, a leaf. It's like some kind of vine and it's providing shade for Jonah's head and it said that Jonah was very happy about the vine and then God provided a little worm a little creepy crawly worm and the worm ate the vine the vine died and then God provided a scorching east wind and we're talking about in the Middle East it's not like it's hot I mean it is hot and he provided a scorching east wind and Jonah grew faint and he felt like he was gonna die and he was mad and God comes to Jonah he says do you have right a right to be angry about the vine and Jonah says I do and I'm angry enough to die and God says listen you don't have any right to be angry you didn't plant the vine you didn't tend the vine you didn't make it grow right you didn't do any of those things and he said but Nineveh is a city of 120,000 people who who were like children who were lost who don't know their their right from their left he goes should I not be concerned about this great city I mean, maybe. You know, really, it's such an incredible 
kind of series of events. And, and before we really even get into I mean, there's so much we have to skip in order to not get out of here at two. But in order to really get to it, we kind of have to deal with something really significant right away. And that is Jonah's anger. I mean, we have to deal with it. We can't ignore it to get on with the kind of great lessons that God has a little bit later on. Because Jonah should be elated. I mean, he should be absolutely excited. Jonah was used as a mouthpiece of God to give spiritual life to 100,000 plus people. We have watched their lives radically and totally change, and Jonah was the very instrument that God used. If Jonah's heart was beating in sync with God's heart, then Jonah should be elated. He should be absolutely elated. But instead, Jonah is angry. And we're not talking about like a little anger. I mean, think about how God uses the word great in this chapter. We're talking the great city of Nineveh, huge, massive power. We're talking about the great storm. Remember the tempest that God hurled. We're talking about the great fish that somehow swallowed a huge person. And Jonah was greatly displeased. This is not your five-year-old folds your arms, be frustrated because I wanted another donut angry. This is angry at God. That's my kid, by the way. Angry at God. I mean, Jonah was so mad. We can't ignore it. Because here's the thing. Something happened inside that fish. It was not an isolated kind of one-day thing. I mean, something really happened. We read Jonah's prayer just a a few verses earlier. His prayer that was full of honesty and and truth and and confession thankfulness. He was ready to change his life. Something happened in Jonah's heart. He was ready to move. We can't ignore that, but, but maybe something else is going on because we can't say that it totally fixed Jonah because Jonah is angry and his heart is somewhere lost along the way. So we got to kind of deal with Jonah's anger and it really brings about two questions and the first one well they're really the same question the first one is is why is Jonah angry or, or the second one's really what's Jonah's problem I mean they're tied together why is Jonah so angry and what's his issue well really Jonah's got a lot of issues and we've seen them all through this chapter and it's kind of kind of looks a lot like our lives we've got a lot of issues and just when we think we got them all figured out other issues arise and the ne- first ones never really went away and we haven't ever really dealt with them in the first place and we're kind of a lot like Jonah but we've got to deal with Jonah's anger before we get to what God is doing in this chapter because something's wrong with Jonah and I think as I look at it I think that there's some some kind of three main things that we can kind of pinpoint and say this is really Jonah's big issue and and the first one is the most significant and it's not a secret and that's that Jonah had yet to give his entire life to the Lord his entire life to the Lord. Now certainly Jonah had a moment with God. He was willing to follow, he was willing to go, he was even willing to preach the message that God gave him. But see, there was a moment that comes in our life where our obedience comes in direct conflict with our desires. And what we want is in conflict with what God calls us to do. And we have this sort of crisis of belief. And Jonah had reached that place, and it's really evidenced in two things. It's evidenced in the fact that Jonah still wants his way. Now, what was the message that God gave Jonah to preach? Forty days, and I'm going to wipe out Nineveh. That was the message. There was no little tagline onto it that says, but if you repent, I'll change my mind. I mean, it was 40 days, and you will be gone. That's what Jonah preached. Jonah preached that message to the Ninevites. He said, 40 more days, and you will be wiped out. And then God didn't do it. Jonah felt betrayed, he felt mad, he didn't care about the Ninevites, he wanted them to die. He was happy to proclaim that message. 
He walked into that city and he said, listen, 40 days and you're all dead. Sorry. Just kind of the way that is. I didn't make it up. God told me to say it. I mean, this is what he's preaching. But then God had compassion on them and Jonah is furious because Jonah was willing to follow the Lord in obedience until it came in direct conflict with what he wanted. I can promise you this, following Jesus will eventually lead you to the one place you don't want to go. It's going to lead you to that place that you're not willing to let go of. Because God calls us to give away our entire lives, not just the part that's easy. See, Jonah would follow and Jonah would even proclaim as long as it fit Jonah's agenda. But when God decided to do something radically different, Jonah wasn't on board. Because his entire life hadn't been surrendered to the will of God. And I find this so significant with me because, man, I am on board with the things of God until it comes head on into what I want. And then we have a major issue, and I always lose. I mean, this is what happens when we don't follow the Lord with our whole heart. We get excited about the things that God's doing until God actually calls us to the one thing we don't want to do or the one place we don't want to be. And I promise you, it will happen. Well, Jonah still wants his own way. So we find out that's his first major issue. It's one of the reasons he hadn't given his entire life. The second thing we see that's evidence of why Jonah hasn't given his entire life is that Jonah tries to justify his disobedience. Look at chapter, or verse 2. I love this sort of pleading he has with, uh, with God. He makes this sort of plea where he says, um, he says, I prayed to the Lord, oh God, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, because I'd rather die. I mean, Jonah basically says, this is why I ran. It is your fault. I knew you were going to do this. I knew that you were a God who was compassionate and gracious, and, and that's why I was disobedient in the first place, because I knew, God, that you would bring me right here. I mean, this is most of our issue with God anyway. We run from the Lord and we don't completely give our lives because we're petrified that God is going to bring us to that place. And I'm not talking about a physical place. I'm talking about a spiritual place. We're petrified that God's going to bring us to it. And guess what? God does. And so we can justify it by saying, God, I, I don't want to give you my life. I didn't want to in the first place. And now I've got to deal with this thing because my entire life I wasn't willing to give to you. I mean, Jonah, while he had a moment with the Lord that was true and real in the moment of that, in the belly of that fish, he had yet to come to the place where he was willing to surrender and give up his entire life. For six weeks, we have been talking about what it might mean to give up your entire, all of, every single part of your life. And Jonah is right in the middle of the place where he has given God part of it. And now he's at the exact same place that he never wanted to be which is always where God takes us. Because that's the part that God wants. He doesn't care about the rest. He wants that thing. So whatever it is that you're hoping God doesn't bring up, reveal, make you let go of, challenge you to do, I can promise you eventually, if you're going to walk with the Lord, he is going to take you there. But it's not something to be fearful or afraid of. Because the greatest things in life that we overcome are done when God moves in us. So Jonah had not given his entire life away. That's his first major issue. The second major issue that Jonah has is that Jonah has a really short memory, all right? 
Now, Jonah should have been elated because of the mercy that God has poured out on him. I mean, God has shown Jonah mercy beyond measure. I mean, think about it. Here's Jonah willing to die, thrown overboard by his ankles and his hands into the sea. A great fish like Shamu jumps up and swallows him, and he is alive inside the belly of this fish. And he calls upon the Lord, and God lets him live. And not only does God put him back on dry land, God gives him the exact same call again. God's mercy to Jonah is amazing. But see, Jonah has a short memory because it's a long, long way from the shores of the Mediterranean Sea to Nineveh. It's not like he caught a train or a bus. He probably rode some kind of camel all the way across the desert thinking about what he was going to do when he got there. Days upon days upon days upon days. And he arrives at Nineveh and he does what God says. But somewhere along the way, Jonah, I think, and I really believe, had lost touch in remembering with what God has done for him. And so when God showed compassion on the Ninevites, he wasn't at a place where he could understand it, remember it, or appreciate it. And you know, I really find this powerful because this is so you and I. I mean, we, we're willing to look around here, even in this room this morning, and pass judgment on whoever we want. We're willing to look at people and go, I can't believe they're here. I know what's going on in their marriage. I know what's going on in their life. I know what kind of business they run. We pass judgment on people quickly. In fact, we get angry at times when God shows great mercy to people who we think don't deserve God's great mercy. We're so quick to forget that without the love and mercy of Jesus, we would not be anywhere. That my life is a just a joke without the Lord. That the only reason I have anything is because God is. We forget so quickly. And we look around at the people around us with this sort of displeasure that after all the things that they've done, that God would be blessing them or that they would even be in this place. We have a short memory. We forget that God has done the unbelievable in our life. That God has rescued us and redeemed us. And we are not living as reflections of that. See, if Jonah's memory wasn't so short, he would be living as this powerful kind of celebration of God's great mercy. God has redeemed me. He saved me from the fish. He has given me new life. I am here to proclaim this message. And the fact that you turned around means that God's mercy is on you. And I rejoice in that. Man, that's Jonah that would know God. And that's where you and I have got to be. We've got to be at a place that no matter who God brings in these doors, no matter how bad they are, what they've done, what they're currently doing, what they will do Sunday afternoon when they leave, that we should have such an amazing memory of God's mercy on our own life that we are giddy that they are even in the building. That we are giddy about what God does around us. And that's not always easy to do. We've got to have a memory that's not short. Quit thinking you're better than you are. Remember where you came from. The other thing, and the last thing we see that's really wrong with Jonah is that I don't think Jonah really knows God. Now, Jonah would probably say he knows God. I mean, he's a Jewish man and a prophet. He knows the Torah backwards and forwards. I mean, Jonah was God's mouthpiece. I think Jonah would say he knows God. But I would really argue and say Jonah doesn't know God's heart. Because it's one thing to know about God and another thing to actually know God. And they're two very 
different things. And surely Jonah knows about God. He knows that God is a, a God of compassion and grace, and that he is a God of understanding who, who resists from bringing calamity. But if Jonah really knew the heartbeat of God, if Jonah really knew that God was a lover of his creation, if Jonah really knew that God was about mercy and compassion, that Jonah's heart would beat in step with God's heart. That Jonah would be about God's purpose. That Jonah would be dancing in the streets of Nineveh over the people who redeemed their lives. I mean, obviously the connection is easy to see here. I mean, the question for us is do we know God or do we just know about him? I mean, do you roll in here every Sunday and hear everything that I have to say and identify those things and, and say, yeah, 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 I mean, God is good, God is love, God is great. But does your heart beat in step with God's? Do you pr push your life to a place where you want to know God intimately, where you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and see the world as he sees the world? Do you want to be such a remade person that your entire identity is transformed? Because I believe our churches are filled with people who have unbelievable amounts of knowledge about God, but have no idea who he really is. I mean, the call for you and I is that we have got to know God, to have our hearts beat, beat in step with his. And the only real way to know God is to fall on our face, surrender, and ask him to remake us. Because your sinful self, my sinful self, we will never know God. God has to remake our hearts. We have to be regenerated, born again, made new. And Jonah's come to a place where he knows all about God, and he can even quote scripture back at God, because those, those little things that Jonah said are straight from the Torah. They're right out of God's law. Jonah actually uses God's word against God. Not a real good idea. <laughs> Jonah doesn't know God's heart. So Jonah's got all kinds of issues. I mean, Jonah hasn't given his whole life to Christ or to God. Jonah has not um, come to a place where he has a, a, a real long-term memory about his own circumstance. And Jonah's at a place where he doesn't truly know the heartbeat of God. Hence the reason we see Jonah pouting outside of town. So this is what happens. I mean, from that point, God looks at Jonah and he says this. He says, do you have any right to be angry? So Jonah's mad, greatly displeased, and God says to him, do you have any right to be angry? And you know how Jonah responds to God? He leaves. He leaves. Look at it. He walks right outside the city and he goes to the east part of kind of the area and a place where he can see, most likely on a little hill outside of town, and he just sits there. He doesn't answer God. He doesn't respond to God. He just leaves, which is exactly what God did the first time that Jonah called him. God says, do you have any right to be angry? And Jonah basically walks out and he sits on a hill, made himself a little shelter, and he waited to see what would happen because Jonah still wanted God to wipe that city out. So he sat there and he folded his arms and he waited for God just to annihilate those people. And he was angry and he was bitter and he was resentful. He was disenchanted and he wasn't talking to God anymore. I'm done with you. So Jonah's sitting there and he makes himself a little shelter and then God, he provides this vine he makes it grow up over his head to give Jonah shade and Jonah was happy it's the first time in the whole book we've seen Jonah happy and you know why Jonah's happy because God did something for Jonah or at least it's something that Jonah wanted 
And Jonah was happy. God had been doing things for people all through this little chapters here. He's been doing things for the sailors. He's been doing things for the Ninevites. But he never did anything for Jonah, or at least anything Jonah wanted. And finally, God provides him some shade, and Jonah is happy. Jonah has come to a place where he is content in his life until God provides that little worm that eats away the, the little vine, and then the wind comes, and Jonah wants to die again. And three times in this chapter, Jonah says he needs to die. I find this whole thing remarkable because Jonah's life, I mean, he should be so elated with what God is doing. That God has rescued him, redeemed him, called him again, that he's seen God's miracle of epic proportions in the lives of these Ninevites. But Jonah is so wrapped up in his own life that he can't see the lives of a hundred plus thousand people around him as people that God cared for. You know, and I could probably spend the remainder of my life talking about this, and so I'm not going to try, but I mean, you and I live here. We live here in a place where we are totally and completely wrapped up in ourselves. Now, I know you're sitting here and you're going, no, I'm not really like that, but truthfully, I mean, at the end of the day, we all are. I mean, it makes me sad that you live on the streets. It really does. And it makes me sad that you lost your job. And it makes me sad that this happened and this tragedy struck. And it makes me sad that you're struggling. And it makes me sad that a thousand plus children die every day because of lack of access to clean water. It makes me sad. It hurts my heart. But I'm so wrapped up in my own comfort that I won't actually do anything about it. We live in a place where metaphorically and literally there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people dying spiritually and we're worried about our own lives desperately. We're worried about, we're worried about our own comfort. As long as I have what I need, then I will think about helping you. Jonah is so selfish, he's so wrapped up in his life that God has given him this vine and he is happy about it, God takes it away and he is mad about it, he's mad about what God is doing and Jonah cannot see past his own life enough to realize that 120,000 plus people, not counting women and children, because God, we usually count men in the Old Testament, had just had their lives changed. You know, we are convicted by the plight of people. I'm not saying that anybody in this room isn't truly grieved over the fact that people are struggling. But what does it take for us to get off our dirt mound and begin to see past ourselves and say, God, I want to be a part of the solution and dancing in the streets with people. I want to quit pouting about my own financial struggles and quit having issues about the own struggles that I have in this or how much I don't like that or how much I wish I was here living there in this house or had that car. How much I just will quit worrying and whining. And start realizing that your purpose in the world is unbelievable and I want to be a part of it. As people of God, we've got to come to a place where we wake up and realize this is not about you. It's about what God's doing in the world. Following Christ is about joining God and joining his purpose in the world and deciding that I don't care as much about me as I do about following Jesus. God will do what God is going to do. God provided the vine, God may take it away. It's God's vine. See, the funny thing with us is that we recognize in moments of great prosperity that God provides. Man, God took care of me. But when it disappears, we fall apart. It's all God's. God will provide again. When am I going to actually start trusting him 
in those moments when the worms come. So God provides this worm and eats away this vine, and then he provides a wind. I love the things that God provides in this book, right? I mean, God provides great tempests, God provides great fish, God provides vines and worms. The point is, God is doing all of it, all right? God is doing all of it. He provides this scorching east wind, I mean, just to absolutely bring Jonah to a place of brokenness. And Jonah comes to a place where he wants to die. Four times in this book, three times in this chapter, I want to die. And then God looks at him again and has another question. And God has three really great questions, and I'd love to get to all of them. But God says this, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And I love Jonah's response because Jonah's response, I I, I truly believe that even Jonah doesn't believe his response. He says, I do, and I'm angry enough to die. I mean, that sounds just like your kid, right? You're like, you have a right to be mad at me? He goes, I do, and I'm never coming out of my room. Even Jonah doesn't believe he's got a right to be angry about the vine, but he's just so mad. He's just so mad. Do you have a right? Of course, Jonah doesn't have a right. He's wrapped up in his own life. God provided the vine. God doesn't have the right to be mad that God took it away. I mean, God provides for our lives in ridiculously amazing ways. We don't have the right to be angry when they dry up because it means God's getting ready to do something else. We've got to see past our own lives to realize that God is working in the world and his call is for us to join him. Look at verse 10. And then God ends with this sort of final question. Jonah goes, I do. I'm angry enough to die. I just love that. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? He's going, listen, your your focus, your perspective is so on yourself. Yet Nineveh, 120,000 people who are like lost children. I mean, think about your, your kids when they don't know their right from their left. They're young, they're immature, they're lost. Nineveh is a, is a city of lost people. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know their left from their right. They are lost. And Jonah is so concerned about his own comfort that he doesn't see the city beside him is spiritually dying and wasting away. And God has just redeemed them with all of his splendor and all of his glory. And God ends the whole story by basically saying this, should I not be concerned about them or should I only be concerned about you? And this book ends. Amen and amen. I mean, it just stops. What we learn in this last verse is a picture of God's mercy beyond measure, his mercy and compassion It's saying, look, I've got 120,000 plus people who are absolutely lost, and I love people. I love my creation. Jonah, you've got to be about my heartbeat. You've got to know me in such a way that you would give your entire life to follow me, that your heart would beat in sync with mine, and that you would care about the things that I care about. See, really, God ends with a question that's designed to challenge Jonah's entire way of thinking. He's basically saying, are you going to be about the things that I'm going to be about? 
Are you going to be about my purposes or are you going to be about your purpose? Because that's what Jonah's doing in the first place. He is running. Jonah was unwilling to give his life and control over to God. And so he ran. And God wraps this whole thing up with the exact same place it started, which is, are you willing to be about my purpose, not yours? Jonah ran in chapter one because he wasn't about the purpose of God. And the book ends with Jonah not being about the purpose of God. This isn't a perfect little literary story. It doesn't end with a bunch of sort of reconciliation and Jonah walks out and he's Bible superhero. Jonah ends a mess, which is kind of why I like him. Six weeks ago, I asked you this question. What would it take to surrender your entire life to Jesus? To step into the life that God is calling you to? What would it take? We've come full circle. We're right back in that place. What would it take to decide that you were going to live not about your purpose, not for yourself, but about God's purpose in the world? That you would desire to relinquish control of your life and surrender control completely and totally to him. The question still stands. Let's pray together.